Well, and we developed this system at a time when we did when we weren't having those conversations Correct. with yeah. platforms, you know, and and so it's uh, yeah, that, which is also why he's like, well, why don't you sell that? It's like, well, because would we be selling a, a a benefit to people or just <laughs> another problem? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 318 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm a human man. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is July 1th, 2021. Dunk on every month. <laughs> before we get started to the second half of the whole year. Yeah. Second half. Uh, before we get any further, there's going to be swears on this show. Uh, and also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thanks for letting us grab your money. Yeah. Let's talk about Favreau. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, we left off. Last last episode. We yeah, left last off. Last episode. We were being coy. And then we were like, wait, why are we being coy? And then we kind of gave some details, but we didn't have all the details yet because we had just started. But we should probably recap what the situation yeah. was for those who didn't so, listen. We were uh, getting hit by lots of bugs in our former uh, sort of work management software called ClickUp. It was undoing a bunch of stuff, and it was getting real, real annoying. Uh, so we, uh, so Sam did a bunch of digging and found this just wacky thing called Favro. Then we, uh, over the past week, have migrated our entire studio's uh, operations and workflows into, and it, it good. It's very good. Yes, uh, let's for, let's talk about. Yeah, it. so for those who aren't aware of what Favro is, as I certainly wasn't, um, it's it's a project management tool that's actually it was built by uh, a game dev team originally, uh, because presumably they were as frustrated with trying to manage work as basically we have been um, in a game context, where basically everything has so many different collaborative inputs to finish one piece of, uh, of work that goes into a project and managing all those things all at once through what I would call confetti cards, which is you have one thing you need to get done. Like, let's put this torch in the game. And in order to do that, then you explode it into like 50 different separate cards that then- Then you, then you hand those off to 50 different people. Mm-hmm. And now I you just don't even God know what the hell is they- happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Unless you do all sorts of other like weird dependency tracking stuff, which is what we used to try to do, but never quite worked. So uh, also, I think most people are using you know Jira for just like everything. I don't know. It, does Jira somehow? I mean, I know literally everybody who uses it hates it, but does it somehow address this problem that you're describing also no. in its own way? Or is no, it just literally just, no, no, no. no. Okay. It's yeah. uh, Jira is is an evolved bug tracking tool that people just use for project management because they've been using it internally for like, you know, decades. They probably a bunch it's of like the, it. it's like the windows XP yeah. of work management. Honestly, right. Yes. But importantly, people use it because they've been using it. If, yep. if you are a person who uses Jira, or who is forced to actually is sort of actually mostly the case uh, with people who work with Jira in their, in their uh, day-to-day lives, then Favro has direct integration and complete syncing with Jira Issues. In other words, just manage your shit with Favro and let it do the updates on the Jira side for you. And then just don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) No one needs to know. Don't even tell anybody. Uh, But anyway, so yeah, we we switched over to this thing uh, largely to solve these ClickUp woes we were having. And as we talked about in the last podcast, whenever you switch to a new tool, uh, the new capabilities of that tool reshape your ability to conceptualize what work is, how to get it done, how even to split it up to different people, et cetera. 
And so this one uh, with Favreau being one of the weirdest ones because of the nature of tasks in Favreau, which is that uh, a single task can live in multiple places at the same time, which simply means that, say, we have that torch example again. If I'm like, uh, okay, we're going to work on this torch this week, uh, that torch can then go into my workflow and Seth's workflow separately, even though it's Mm -hmm. the same thing. Uh, We can see that happening instead of all sorts of automations to trigger certain things for other people. Uh, once it hits certain points in our workflows. And well, this also means stuff like at no point do I need to say to Sam, like, hey, what's going on with this torch? Because it, like, if I look at the card in the my stuff. board, then I can see there's a little marker and then it'll say, this is in Sam's board. It's currently in his today pile. Right. So mm-hmm. I know exactly where it is in his workflow. And anything that I do, like, if I had a little like implementation checklist to that card for myself to help me sort of like, Go through it. He can see that. And if he puts a, if he's working up a concept and he throws that on the card, I can see it because it's the same card. Well, so and every, every board has its own. Yeah, every, every board has its own status, uh, which is, you know, a, a classic way of, of labeling things as progressing through some system, right? Uh, so every board has its own status field and then also other arbitrary fields that you can add. And when a, every time a card hits a new board, it basically just also gets those fields added to it. Mm-hmm. And so as long as everything is well named and organized and all of that, then you can be, and I, was, I found myself doing this uh, yesterday evening, actually. I was, there was a, there was a, I had to fix a bug and in the process, there was another thing on my list that, that I was supposed to do later this week. And I was like, oh, I'll just do this while I'm thinking about it. Right. And, but I didn't know how the bug tracker was set up, but that Seth and that Seth and sure or Southern Jordan had put together. Yeah. Uh, and so, but I knew it was in there cause that's how it ended up coming to me. Right. And so I was like, oh shit, now I have to figure out how to mark it as being done there, you know? But I was like, wait a second. I just opened the card when I finished it and it was in my sprint, you know, for the week. And so I just like yep. marked it but as also done in for the bug me. tracker. Yeah. And then I looked at, and then I found the bug tracker status field and then, and then clicked it open to see what the options were. And one of them was, uh, was complete or whatever. And I was like, resolved. Oh, or resolved. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well I resolved this. So I just hit that. And then whatever had to happen for that to be okay, that yeah. just happened. Cause we set a bunch of automations on the, on the, our, our new issue tracking board. We're like, yeah, when you resolve something, it gets removed from the active issues board, boom, kicked over to the archives. It's still there actually. And, and even there, a member of the QA team can go find it and they can reopen it, which mm-hmm. then, which then sort of like marks it as incomplete, pops it back into the active board and alerts the other testers like, hey, we got to get some more information on this thing, right? So yeah. automatic. Yeah. So I got to yeah, say it's the, automatic. the big, basically the big wins here that we're, we end up being able to see on the manager side, why anybody might be interested in this, uh, if you haven't quite gotten it yet, is that a lot of your work, a shocking amount of your work, actually. Maybe even most of it. Yes, is actually just handing stuff around, moving stuff around to the appropriate people, letting people know about certain things happening, uh, and then essentially tracking changes or tracking the status of of uh, various works in progress, right? And this is literally yeah. the job of, of of a producer at a game studio is is supposed to be the person who is basically somehow aware of the status of various pieces of work and is uh, you know, keeping track of the timelines and the budget for a project and trying to keep things kind of up to speed. And what's really interesting with a tool like this is that it seems like it allows you to more or less have it be the case that that production role, some some component of that production role, that glue that sort of like lets everybody know that things are happening and where they are and, and alerting people is is just like actually taken care of by the tool and by the people who are doing the individual pieces of work as opposed to like having to now also relay that information back up to another entity. Well, and actually, have yeah, you can also think of it as for, for a small team, it basically means that you could – 
you can be bigger before you need to have a person's job be to like keep Correct. track of the work, right? Uh, and for a bigger team, it means that now uh, a, a producer style role, um, which is also about you know making sure all the different teams that become more and more uh, siloed as you scale up, right? That because even if the, even if the stuff is visible and you have really good systems for everything, there begins to be so much information, mm-hmm. right? Because part of the part of the rule of all of this stuff is to make work visible, it's to make stuff visible, right? But there's a there's sort of a sub there's a subtitle there, which is when it matters, right? That's yes. like that's that's actually the the important bit because if work is just visible, then it's all noise and chaos because you don't because that's all if the things all that work could happen is visible all that, the time. Yeah, it's just yeah. that's nothing, and so. The right work needs to be available at the right time. And so you need some combination of planning and automations uh, and then all collectively in the same tool that supports that to make it really easy so that you can see the stuff that you need to see when you need to see it. And depending on your role, that's different stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can start seeing like the producer role moves upstream a little bit more, right? And you can manage more stuff because it's easier to see all of it. And so now – your your job becomes to and it, which is what it always is. It's just that now you take out the component of trying to figure out what's going on. You can just see what's yes. going on. It's a component and, of moving moving information around, which is no, which is not as useful as being able to actually make decisions about what should be happening. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. So you're saying so you're saying as a producer in a system like this, your job would now become figuring out ways to make to make the work move around more easily on its own yeah. as opposed to you being the one who is moving work between yeah. organizations mm-hmm. and yeah and then basically keeping hand. track of like milestones and making sure everybody knows what it's basically now it's putting that it's like doing making sure that the work is being organized and being monitored not just for what work is being done but how long it's taking what, you know what this is right? this is the this is the crash, the original Crashlands infinite inventory system. Yes. You right. know, because we were like, if your inventory is infinite, then you can just pick up everything, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great uh, because having to decide what to not pick up in crafting games and stuff was always just, yeah. I hated it, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I want all of it. Give me all of it. I'm an American. Give me all of the things, <laughs> right? Uh, and so- so we did that, but then we had, I don't know if you remember this, Sam, we had, like, we started with a finite inventory and we just kept adding chests. Like we had a chests. Yeah. You terrarium like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's yeah. just like, like we just kept adding slots and adding slots. And eventually we were like, I hate this. Cause now you're spending so much of your gameplay just trying to just figure out where shit put around. shit, just yeah. moving shit around. And then so the, eventually we say, okay, you know what? It's inventory. There's no, it's infinite. There's no chests. You don't even get to see it. Now what? Yeah. Well, that was the answer. Like, how do you do that? Well, you need to think about inventory differently, right? Which mm-hmm. is, which is, where are your helms? Well, who gives a shit, right? Like, you only care about about what helms you have if you're <laughs> considering equipping one. Mm-hmm. So, click on the helm, click on the head slot where you would be equipping it, and boom, you can see the the helms, right? So it's yeah. like it serves and, up and there could be the information only when you need it, right, and then otherwise right it just gets out of your face. Yeah, there could yeah. be intermediate ways to do that too, right? Where there's like there's a chest, there's a chest that is the helm's chest or whatever, right? That just that's what its purpose. That's what it was made for in the game. There's only one of it. You don't have to worry about a, a jillion chests, any one of which might have you know helms and so on. This is always the the part of of these kinds of games where once I start getting into that phase where it becomes a drag, 
you know, because my, my wife and I played That's a lot of Valheim. That's when you start a new save. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My wife and I played a lot of Valheim and we got to the point where now the, the tier that we're in just requires like, it's just, you know, it's just fetch quest after fetch quest, but not in the sense of like somebody's telling us to get something, but it's just like, oh, we need a whole bunch more of this ore, right? So we go run up a mountain and then harvest ore until our inventory, until we're full of, up on weight. Then we run back down. And then in the same process, we've collected a bunch of random stuff, right? And mm-hmm. now we have like, I think, 50, no, I think 20 chests, I think, like in our <laughs> in our house, you know? So then we come back in and we're like, okay, where? And then we try to remember Which is the ore chest. Yep. And uh, then we're like, oh, wait, do we have enough food? And we're like, uh, which one's the food chest? Like, do we need to start like fermenting some things? Uh, where does the fermentables go, right? It's like, it just becomes this, uh, this really just mentally taxed. It becomes a management game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. And so like, and so this is actually a really interesting thing about DevOps, which, which seemed kind of like a revelation, but it's like kind of obvious in retrospect, which is they, they always talked about whether you're doing software development or anything, if you think about each unit of work in the same way that a factory does, right. And that, what do they call it? Work, work in process is the silent killer, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, Having a huge backlog of stuff piled up somewhere, like raw materials that you just haven't processed and done anything with, is hugely expensive because you have to store it and track it and maintain it and make sure it's fine and purge it if it you know goes bad. Which in the mm-hmm. case of like tech work is like going through the list of a thousand things from a project and archiving the stuff that's no longer relevant, right? Mm-hmm. So like you want as little stuff in the pipeline as possible, and only the stuff that you need, and you only want to see the stuff that is relevant in the exact moment, right? And so it seems like, uh, I, th- I think no system will actually do that, like 100%, you know what I mean? Because that's, like an, that's an well, ideal. And, yeah, right? there's, a, there's but, a scaling problem with that too, right? Because you, there's always a point where a person needs to intervene to basically triage, right? To say like, I, I can, I'm capable of, of evaluating this thing in the context of what is important against some, some sort of metrics, right? To decide what's supposed to happen. Uh, at some point, a person has to do that when you're ingesting new things, right? And so there's just always a scale problem here. And as things, as, as a team gets bigger, managing more kinds of things, as they become more isolated, and as the number of inputs increases, then it's, yeah, yeah. Because it's already really hard, like for us with six people, you know, it's really yep. fucking hard. Uh, and, and part That's of why we still us, only have six people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because we talk about this a lot too. We're trying to figure out, because uh, most software and most, uh, most like workflow philosophies are designed around uh, large teams, or actually not large entities, like large, yeah. large projects that have multiple teams where the teams are largely uh, siloed and manage some sort of portion of it. Right. And so, and there's, there's somebody above that, above that team who has broader context so that they're able to figure out what the team should be doing. So the team doesn't have to know. So right? kind of allo- allocate sections of work. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and this is why things get hierarchical, right? Cause the idea is that as things just get bigger, there's just not a person who can, who could possibly, and the, and people at the lowest level just can't keep track of all of the shit and how their stuff fits into the right. context. Right. They got to move their part forward, but that, Take, that's a full-time job yeah. so yeah. they so, can't see everything else. Yeah. Exactly. So kind of everything is built for this. And something that, that we always find ourselves wondering is – and our case is very different, not just because we're smaller, but also because there's no isolation, right? So – or not nearly as much. So we all on the whole team have to kind of know what everybody's up to because we all are needed to collaborate with each other on various aspects because we're all doing lots of things. And which is a completely different model. And some of the things I don't really know how to think about is like, it definitely requires different workflows 
But also in my mind, as you scale, everything becomes harder and more complicated. But I wonder right. is if it the, it's is it the not case? actually relatively, you know, more complicated because things begin to have to be isolated more in order to scale. And once you've done that, it gets easier to manage within those contexts. Yeah. Right. I imagine that's how it goes. I think it's, I think it's the same level of hardness just with a different set of just problems. Different problems. Yeah. Yeah. Different places where the, where the difficulty shows up. And it also helps to explain to you that there's a whole uh, thing about as a, when a business first starts to scale, it almost mm-hmm. always turns Implodes. into a collapse, right? Yeah. Uh, because that conversion, if you don't take into account that the, none of the workflows can be the same, right? Especially when they weren't likely designed that well in the first place. Yeah. Right. Well, there's a, what do they call it? It's like, there's like a death valley of entrepreneurship, which is. It's called crossing like a, the chasm. That, yeah. Uh, there's like a phase where, which is actually like, there, we are still in, in sort of like a founder slash startup mode, which is that, that the owners of the company are also doing a lot of the work of the company, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we do the business management, but also we the, we're the production team. And so for us to, let's say like add three people. Isn't isn't just an informational problem. It's also uh, a huge like organizational uh, like allocation of work problem, mm-hmm. right? Because if if the three of us like insisted on continuing to be both the production team and the management team, uh, then then now we're sort of like having to be in the loop on even more things while also doing the work on even more projects because more projects are happening now because we got three more people, right? And so so there's like this. This mo- there's like this this gap. Mm-hmm. I think once you have maybe like a hundred people, and like sure, adding one more person is like okay, sure, slot them in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a well, you don't even know it's happening if you're if you're now like running that company. There's a manager, you know, three levels of hierarchy below you. Yeah, it could happen in a different team department. of six like, people oh, who somebody new just appeared last yeah. week. I didn't even notice. Right, <laughs> that's, that's why like the the uh, yeah, there's always you know, a huge difference in how companies run. But one of the models there's like two key models. Like the really big ones are. There's an HR department who's responsible for all of hiring and staffing and firing and everything, right? And so if you as a manager need a person, you go to them and they decide, right? Mm-hmm. And they right. And then the other one is that it happens at the at the management level. So that if you're managing a team, then you you get to decide if you need more people, need fewer people, and you do the hiring also, right? Uh, and yeah, so it's but it's this it's this interesting difference between like, do you decentralize or do you centralize even harder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you try to scale and do things, and it's uh, and both are disruptive because they're both different than what you've been doing, and uh, it yeah. can be it can be tough. Well, honestly, I think it's no. we think about it just like when we talk about uh, building a video game, which is every time you add one additional thing into your game, the context for the whole rest of the game that you built before that is now different. And so, if you mm-hmm. don't update basically everything because of the new thing, uh, or at least allow you yourself, just keep, like, if you just keep adding new things, which is yeah. also true for life, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you start yeah, we, working we from home, our, and then you don't sit down with your family members and say, "Wait a second, what the hell does this mean?" Yeah, what does this mean now? Like, like I'm home all day, and I didn't used to be before, but I am still obligated to spend most of that time doing this work, and also I need a space to do it, right? And uh, so, what is that? What, what is that? Everything's that different now. Everything's different yeah, we, now. Yeah, in game in our in our uh, game dev sort of parlance, people talk about the idea of a vertical slice, which is which is you've got all the systems in the game and now you've got like some content and all so you can kind of see how the whole game is right uh we in our in our studio we try to think of things more as a diagonal slice which is like we add we add systems 
and then we add enough content to understand that system, right? Then when we add the next system, we, we need to go back. Yep. Got to go back, right? So you kind of like mm-hmm. you you don't just add all the systems in one go. It's and a, the uh, it's a swirly go. diagonal, yeah. right? It's like as you go up, it kind of like it keeps doing like pigtail loops, you know, as it's going up yeah. to the right. But of course, a company is the same way, which is like a company is a big stack of systems and yep. content. Content meaning like the work of the people that's moving through the systems, right? And so, yeah, if you add any people, it changes. And if you add any, yeah. any systems, it changes. And you've got to revisit the whole thing to restabilize the, the, the context before yeah. you change it again. Yeah. Which is all uh, to say, basically, that we've, you know, as we talked about last week too, we've tried a jillion ways to manage work. Um, and we've tried scaling in various ways, um, never like going big because one wouldn't want nah. to, but also we can't, do it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and, and trying to figure out how to, to do that. And, um, and what we've always found was that the tools that we picked, they, we picked them based on how we thought we were, we either, either how we were already doing work or how we thought we needed to. Right. And the goal was to make sure that that thing could do that, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. And the problem was, is that if it didn't then have the flexibility to dramatically adapt to a change of circumstance or us realizing that actually this wasn't a good way to do stuff, right? Um, then all of a sudden we just like kind of were stuck and we also couldn't try new things because the tool didn't support it, mm-hmm. right? And so we kind of find ourselves moving into more expanded capability tools as also as they were coming out and becoming more production ready. Cause this is also a fairly new phenomenon of these things existing. Um, and so, so yeah, that's what we've been doing. And it kind of feels like we hit some sort of a local maximum finally with, yeah. uh, with Favreau because it's just so fucking flexible. Yeah. I think the weird well, thing I is, think what will remain to be seen is just, we're gonna because we're gonna bump into weird constraints with it and stuff, and I, you know we already have a, a bit because you know no tool does everything, mm-hmm. and no tool does everything the way exactly that you want it to, and they haven't um, invested heavily enough in kinds of automations, you know. Yeah, so it remains to be seen if if they continue to expand the feature set to make this tool more and more capable over time in a way that doesn't break it, uh, then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we would we would stick with it for quite for quite a while. But it's also the case that that you know, as a as people, we are a gas. We expand to fill the space that we're in. At a certain point, we will have a a new set of problems that Favreau maybe can't help us with, mm-hmm. and then we will find a new tool. Right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, that's just the cycle, you know. So, yep. Sam, are you going to say something? Well, I think you know we talk about the idea of growth, uh, growing a company, scaling a company, etc. And I think it's probably it's always made I think it's always made me uncomfortable trying to figure out how to think about it within like my own my own domain of work. Because while it's certainly the case that I would love to have some more bandwidth, because as we've talked about in the podcast a bunch, when you're a team this small, everyone's doing multiple things, and uh, there's a tendency for at least like half your team to basically be bottlenecking various aspects of uh, of you know, studio management and studio process. So while it's the case that I would definitely love to have more uh, more bandwidth to be able to do certain things, there's the interesting point in the industry trade-off, which is that in order to get that bandwidth by- You have, to, ha- you have to have less. You have to have, yeah, less stuff to do. Uh, and so the challenge is basically when you're also the one managing, then adding a person. So if say we add another artist, thing you have to manage. Yes. And so basically you have to actually hit a point with your management capability and your tools capability where, and then of course also the person you choose to hire being just really, really good uh, from the get-go that 
bringing that person on while it absorbs management uh, energy and does create that kind of work for you actually does produce slack for you. And I think, I think honestly, working in Favre for the last week now, uh, as we got kind of transitioned over to it, has been the first time because of the multi-card thing that I've been like, oh, I, I could see how maybe that might actually be possible now, as opposed to just always feeling like, if we just add another person, then I would just be doing that too on top of this other stuff. You know? Yeah. Well, if you think about how much of your time has to go into either asking people what's going on with stuff or telling people what's going on with stuff. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. or, uh, yeah, or, or, or training, or, to, yeah, yeah, training, training, piecing together a big thing to, uh, to like a big document, you know, so that you can hand off a piece of work to somebody, um, as opposed to them just already having a pretty good context of it already because they, you know, they're working in a system that gives them all the information they need. And then the handoff becomes easier and faster. I mean, I, th- I think actually the most interesting thing was that we had, so we have been trying to find ways to sort of update our QA testing process um, over the past like couple of months, actually. We've been like talking through it, talking through it, talking through it. Um, because because back when we first designed our QA, like our internal QA reporting system, we didn't know what to expect. We'd never had internal QA. And so we were like- Well, we also uh, didn't let- design an internal one. We designed an external one first. Yes. We right. designed it thinking we're going to release Levelhead and we need to intake just a, just a lot of stuff from players. And we don't really know what the quality level of that's going to be. It's, it's going to be – well, we know. It's, var- it's variable. It's highly variable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so so we used that same system for our, our internal QA team. So they used basically like a, the same – that same sort of feedback thing that our players used. Um, which kind of created sort of like a one directional channel where like our internal QA team would send us stuff. And if we had, uh, more questions about that issue, then the questions would go right back to that original tester who reported it, but it was like an isolated channel. So that conversation sort of was locked in between those two people and there wasn't a lot of, of collaboration or visibility for the rest of the QA team about that incident, about that bug or, or whatever. So that leads to like um, creating a lot of duplicate reports potentially, um, or or even just like testers not being able to easily collaborate with each other to to replicate issues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So so we'd come up with all kinds of different mechanisms, even looking at like can we use GitHub issues? Can we migrate the feedback into oh, there? Can we designed we- a whole like I spent basically a week designing and another week implementing a whole mm-hmm. process of managing QA tickets and, and workflows uh, with automations in GitHub, which for, mm-hmm. for, for those yeah. listening who are familiar with that, with that platform, but like we did all of that. That was just like, I mean, we finished that last week, right? Like we were right we were before to, we switched to Fiverr. We were yeah. right. We were about, we were about to onboard the QA team and then say onto that new system, which actually like, it was basically trying to make GitHub do these things that it really wasn't intended to do in terms of like having lots of these like automated workflows for, <laughs> for handling uh, issues in ways that were particular to us. Um, but then when we found Favro, then uh, we looked at what we were doing in GitHub and we were like, we could just do this at Favro, but way easier and mm-hmm. way faster and way more – and the onboarding would be almost free, right? So we like – And changing – and really importantly, making changes to that workflow yes. is now – trivial is the wrong word because it gets – Almost anybody can do it now. But almost anybody can do it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so so we we put together just a little dashboard and it's like, okay, QA, QA team – this is your dashboard. You just come here. Every, literally everything you need is here. All the information you need, 
If you need to report bugs, you do it here. If you need to reopen tickets, you can do that. You can also see the status of your tickets because it's in Favreau. So your tickets exist both in the, the issue tracker and in our workflows, right? Yeah. So it's, it's the so same you can ticket see, now. Yep. You can mm-hmm. see what's happening. You can collaborate with each other. It's like it just suddenly solved all of our problems. And it took, I think it took like uh, six hours to sort of like think through how to set that up, set it up, get all the automations going. And then boom, we were able to just well, Yeah, we should. We should say with all this, with this talk about how like how cool Favreau is and how we can do all kinds of stuff with it. Uh, all that is true, but the overhead cost of figuring out how you want those workflows to yes. to look, you still then, have to decide holy a lot shit. of things. We have spent <laughs> we have spent a lot of time. That's since, why it's been a week. Because yeah, like, because think about yeah. that. Yep. Like that transition, like, yeah, so oh, yeah, it took like six hours to figure that whole thing out, right? Um, yeah, except like we had to do that six hours for everything that we do in the studios. Like yeah. think through how we want every single thing, every workflow to be um, to get that yeah, I think, I think so I, it took some, after took things some, have settled a bit, once like we feel like we're not iterating as aggressively anymore in a, in a couple of weeks or so, uh, it would be fun to put together just some videos, you know, of like, here's mm-hmm. here's how we set up all of our, our miscellaneous workflows, you know, uh, in this tool. Because um, it, it's be pretty cool. Because it's hard to explain uh, what these things are. And I think one of the interesting things, too, is, is you know, Seth noted that the onboarding is easier because everything is there and, and so much stuff can be automated. And then you find this interesting challenge with that, which is, which is they're actually, co- they're complex, the workflows that have been put together, right? And so when you first come into it, uh, either trying to design a workflow or, with mm-hmm. the workflow that's there, trying to like, if you're trying to explain to somebody, you know, like, okay, so first, like a card starts here, like this is where you look. And then once this gets added to it, it pops over here. And then now this person can see it and, you know, whatever, like it, it actually is, it starts to feel overwhelming very quickly when you are, when you're trying to understand how everything moves, right? But if you focus on the part that matters, which is where, like this is after it's already been designed, because that's, that's very hard. <laughs> but once you focus on the part that matters, which is, <laughs> Where is information surfaced to me that I need to deal with, yes. right? And how do I get the right information to other people? And if those things are kept very, very, very simple, so that all the complexity is behind the scenes, via mechanisms allowing that to happen, yeah. yeah, then then orienting somebody to it is actually very compli- a very complicated thing becomes uh, much easier. And even even with the orientation part, if you're trying to explain too much about how it works to kind of take the magic away and like try to try to get a sense of what's going on here. Um, the, uh, even if a person's getting overwhelmed, once they start using it, if you've done your designs, well, it'll be intuitive and it'll just work. Well, it's you like know? you were talking about with the issue tracker. So we, we set up the, the QA system with tons of automations, right? So that, uh, Adam got a ticket sent to him with no explanation of how the, how the ticketing system worked. Okay. Yeah, it was just in my inbox. I, and I, and I did that on purpose. Cause I was like, I want to see, how obvious this is, right? <laughs> so went to his inbox, um, and then he took care of it, and then he just saw that there was a little little drop down on the, on the card that was like issue status, and he was like, oh, and he flipped that to resolved, and boom, all the automations take care of everything after that. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have to do anything else; just set it to resolved and move on. Yeah, and that and so, that same card that's representing that bug actually basically became a card now representing a fix, right? Uh, and it has the history on it of anything people talked about related to it. Uh, has all the info from all the all the boards it's been on as work was done, right? And and then also it's just it's still in my system just independently because now I have my own my own process by which I move individual work items that I'm taking care of. 
that's just the way that I want to do it. And the, like, so right now there's basically just a review column that's sitting there waiting. And that card is sitting in there too, waiting until today. Cause every day I basically go, go through and say like, okay, what got, what got done yesterday? And then I can archive it or delete it, but, but it's, it's still, you. In, the, still yep. in the bug tracker. So it doesn't still in the bug tracker. Do. Yep. Yeah. yeah so I think dope. this like, it, it lets things be super centralized and long lived with tons of history uh, accumulating on specific cards that can be handed off between departments with like no cost mm-hmm. and, and no explanation, right? Like if you set up the workflows, well, it's just like, this is yours now. Somebody could just look at it and be like, oh, I get this. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then yep. you move, like, you, yeah. And so what I, what if, what's been really, I think, interesting about all of this is, is that uh, like along with the Favreau transition, like I have this new dog, right? It's been an incredibly chaotic week for me. Um, but I've still actually gotten the same amount of stuff done for development in Crashlands 2 as I did in this basically the same time period the week prior when mm-hmm. I didn't have all this administrative work to do when I was working in ClickUp. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. because when I do decide like, okay, it's time for me to do development. It's time for me to work on Crashlands 2. Uh, we've set up our systems now in, in Favro so that I just, I exactly know what's next and I don't need to go to Sam and be like, hey, uh, does this make sense for me to work on next? Because we have a roadmap, right? And like, I just bring it in, work on stuff, boom, boom, boom. Like, it's all just, I know what needs to happen now and I don't have to stress about it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just been, oh man. I'm, I'm very excited to see what the next couple of weeks looks like. It's blowing my mind. On the end of these, uh, all these workflow transitions. So it's, yeah. it's so, uh, Anyways, I know this sounds like a sponsored podcast. <laughs> you know, Favreau, like, go and, you know, money grabbed up. Be sketched out. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. there for us. Eh? Go ahead. We'll, we'll grab your. We'll grab your money. You know, we, we'll be fine with that. Um, yeah, definitely. But no, it's not a sponsor. We just we're just really pumped about this thing. Uh, and it's F A V R O Favreau. For or some reason, no, I feel if, like it's a French word, and it should be like I think there's a there's Swedish or something. It's a it's a it's they're basically stock European or stock. Yeah, I don't know, either. but I will say I will say if you want to learn about Favreau. Uh, drink a lot of coffee because their YouTube videos explaining how it works are boring as fuck. <laughs> like they're like thirty minutes long mm-hmm. with yeah. a dude just like just like just talking through. I actually enjoyed the video yeah. a lot. To be honest with you, I also I like to well say, I was they're, they're more they're yeah, more recent ones. Also, yeah. well, okay, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. but like their their more recent videos are better. But they have some from I think like a year ago when they were kind of first getting things going. And, uh, it's like, it's like echoey ass room, you know, like a guy way too far from the mic, like an hour long PowerPoint. And they're talking about like their, their like number of clients across the world and KPIs. And I'm like, don't <laughs> just, just show me the, show me the, the thing. Uh, so anyways, anyways. Yeah. Go get like, it people. Go get but it. Yeah. F- this is just like a message out to Favreau, like. Make a make a video that's more exciting because your your product's fucking amazing and you got to kind of like hype it up a bit more. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. uh, anyways, yeah, let's get on to some questions. I was, yeah, I was just gonna say the last the last kind of piece of this puzzle besides organizing mm-hmm. all this work is then integrating it to all of our other systems yes. to get it fully oh, yeah. centralized. So that's kind totally of forgot about that. Yeah, that's the that's that's the last piece of all of this. But I was just thinking about this yesterday because I popped open our our uh, just our website to do something. You know, and uh, and I was like, oh shit! Right, the alerts because we have alerts that are in our website for for like con- for support tickets and stuff that get assigned to us. Um, but that's currently just where they are, and it, they, that's variously been integrated with things at various points. But we keep on changing things, changing how we want to work on stuff, and and so like that's just kind of they've just been sitting there now for for some time. 
And, uh, but, but it's decentralized. It's somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the whole fucking team, unless that's part of their, their normal day, like, so for Jordan, who is always ingesting all the, the player uh, feedback, feedback tickets, right. He's there every day. So like his stuff gets covered. Right. But the rest of us less so because we just forget that that stuff is over there. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, so yesterday I went in and found a, a seven day old ticket, which is, you know, not ideal, but it was even worse than that because it represented, uh, it represented a problem, like a really bad problem that made login impossible for people who were trying to log in using legacy, like legacy crashes, it still uses Bscotch ID. It made it, it made it not only impossible, but in the most like confusing, baffling, <laughs> frustrating way, because you'd be bouncing, basically the end result is you're bouncing around websites and the game constantly being told things that contradict each other, right? Uh, <laughs> where you like try to log in at one place so, and they're like, oh, you don't have an account. And then you go to the other place and they're like, and then you're like, oh, I guess I'll go re-register then. So it's, I'm gonna go, it's like I'm that account already exists. It, I'm going to yeah. guess that that, that that feedback report you got was very calm and collected. It actually was written, not, it was, it was clearly the person was not happy, but I was very impressed and relieved that it was still <laughs> a pretty calm. Because I've, I've had, I've had some nasty ones in there. Oh, um, yeah. People are typically nasty about weirdly mundane stuff, though. Yeah, and then if you get somebody who's like actually had something like truly frustrating happen to them, oftentimes mm-hmm. they keep it together pretty well. I don't know why <laughs> yeah, that some, is. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, the, the last like the last truly nasty one one I had was also somebody who like had a complicated, confusing issue, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but it, so, so yeah, so I got this ticket. And I was like, oh fuck! Like I didn't reply to this guy who's been trapped in this you know hours long maze, uh, and I didn't know what was going on, <laughs> and, I, and I finally like. And I had to go dig into it. So I was doing that last night and discovered that it, it's a bug basically between the legacy system, and the new one details don't matter, but it's impacted a thousand accounts. There's Shit. a thousand people, a thousand Ooh. who, who dealt with this. Right? So this is a long way of saying that you should hook up those notifications to Favreau so we can actually see. Yeah, exactly. Things. Yeah. So, so it's this yep. kind of stuff now where I'm like, okay, we got to yep. merge all Let's this shit in. Pull right? it all together. Pull it all Let's together. Do this. So that's just all in one place and just things, wherever they are, just appears in our stupid inbox. I'm going to deal with it in Favreau. Yep. Yep. Uh, like you said, simplify the intake. Yep. Right? All the intake. So it all comes into one place and then you yep. figure out what to do from there. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, I'm sure we'll have more to uh, – Either like praise next week or whine about next week as we use yeah, Favreau as we more, using it more. You know, yep. as we do. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's go on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Fraser, who says, way back in episode 73, Mancy Patch Kids, that's the name of the episode. <laughs> nice. Uh, you talked about eventually expanding beyond games, becoming an indie publisher, selling tools to other devs, all sorts of stuff. What's happened to this goal in the intervening years? Ooh. So I think actually kind of related to the stuff we've talked about just previously, which is the bandwidth problem and the yeah. uh, the increased realization of just how hard it really is to succeed at doing one thing. One thing. Just one. Let just alone. One thing. Let alone being like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let's go spin up a tools division, uh, which we've explored at various points and each time been like, wait a second. That would be starting a whole nother version yeah, of what we've done whole new in the last thing. 10 years. Yeah. So I guess the short answer is, is basically that, which is the sort of as it's, a, it's basically I think as we've actually grown the studio and, and you know, grown products within it grown our experience in this particular industry, recognizing just how uh, how much work and how long it takes to do that. 
makes it so that you're not as gun like what's uh, like trigger happy about starting a new thing in a completely a completely sort of like even if it's kind of adjacent the reality is like if you're selling tools now you're doing something completely different if you're doing software as a service right yeah i, th- I think you um, see that kind of a thing a lot more in in the the venture capital backed model of running mm-hmm. companies you know because then like the founder will be there they're already like wrangling uh money from all these different people and they have some product they're in the process of working on they got these people who they brought in and slowly kind of accumulated like, you know, it's like these good people doing cool stuff. And then they have these ideas because they create tools while they're doing it that they, they're like, Ooh, we could sell this. Or, you know, they do, they do that kind of stuff. And then, and there's a reason why that almost always now results in either nothing actually happening or that person going and seeking venture capital. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's because like, it's expensive as fuck. It's expensive as fuck. <laughs> and it's really <laughs> risky, right? And because we have had these conversations really, I mean, even actually just a few weeks ago, we were talking about like, what's the future of Rumpus, you know? Um, trying to figure out like what to think about this. What is it mm-hmm. for? What does it do? And, and this all becomes actually more complicated because uh, the our industry is, is dominated by, uh, by gatekeepers who get to do whatever they want, right? Yes. So if one and of make those, us do whatever they want and make us do whatever they want. Yeah. So if one of those gatekeepers at some point says, oh, we just aren't going to allow third party logins on our system. Right. Uh, which has happened and actually just is true on some platforms. Yeah. Right. Already. Uh, and, and there's some there are some indicators on certain platforms that that's going to become more true. Right. So now you take something like Rumpus. We're like. It's a cool thing that we've made, right? Where it's like, oh, cent- you just centralize your account. So wherever you go, whatever game you're playing, you can have these cross-game perks. You can do, you can be on one platform, move to mm-hmm. another, have the same data. Uh, one account gonna, to rule them all. Cross-platform right? freedom. Woo. Yeah, and it's and there's a, but there's a reason that almost nobody else has has that, right? Which is because platforms hate it. Platforms yep, hate, they it. hate it. Yeah, they and, hate they, it. and they've been actively <laughs> working to make that impossible. Yeah, because they want. I mean, they want. It's the walled garden is the term that the term of art nowadays, but every platform wants to keep their players only in their ecosystem. Yeah. Right? Concept called so like, switching costs and they actually want it to be high. Yeah. It's yeah. To be and, high you know, people, people give Sony a lot of shit about their stance on crossplay, right? But like Sony has that stance because they are at the top right now. Correct. Right. Like they want to keep people in their platform because that's where most of the people are. If if most of the people were on Xbox instead, Sony would be like, "Hey, we're we're we love crossplay. Why don't we get some of those Xbox people uh-huh. over here?" Right. Uh, so it's all it's all just business stuff. But it the is, fact is, but, yeah, that, but we don't. Everybody everybody wants to trap their users, and yeah. our our approach is we like we we say like our customer is like an Xbox user and a PlayStation user and a Switch owner. And, and the, platf- and the platform and it's says- it's the same person. Yeah, but the platform the same says, person. you don't have a customer. We have a customer. Correct. And that's our customer. And that's, yeah. But and, and then sure, you, <laughs> you person who made the game has to deal with all the support and has to make the game, has to do all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, sure. Like you have to provide support for our customer, right? Uh, like, yeah. yeah, all of that stuff, right? Um but uh, yeah, so it's so because of things like like that, then there's this, and you, and you see this happen with with uh, startups and all kinds of industries where where there's some giant out there, right, who always then is presented with a choice, which is buy or destroy, right? So some some little upstart, yes. and uh, and Facebook in our, buying Instagram, for yeah, example, exactly, yeah, and and in the case of the game space, it changes so fast 
And and the rules are so arbitrary, and there's no legal protections basically for us at this at this or for for basically the people making the games. Um, and so so we just have to take whatever happens, and we have to work with that. So it's actually an incredibly risky business model to say not only we're going to try to make that work internally for our own games, but also we're going to try to find a way to invest even more resources into this, like turn this into a company itself, right? And a new product and, and find a way to sell it to other people. Because mm-hmm. what happens we, when we when we sell this service, right? And then one day, one of those platforms says, oh, you can't use this service on our platform anymore, right? So, so now what do we do? A quarter right? of, your, of your revenue just gone. It's just gone. And or, it, or even worse, you've got – you you may have thousands of customers who are developers um, who have built their business on top of your business mm-hmm. on top of that platform, right? Yeah. And so, so now you have this this problem where you're trying to reconcile sort of like a thousand angry developers mm-hmm. whose livelihood is now impacted because your livelihood, like you're all screwed, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And of course and they're mad at you. You're on the platform. Yeah, uh, everybody's yeah, mad, but you can't do anything <laughs> about it. Yeah. But it just is what it is. So, all right, it, yeah. it's this. It's just kind of this interesting problem. Where it's a two part. On, on the one hand, it's uh, it's hard to know what the future looks like. But having said all of that, that's equally exactly as true for making games, right? All right. the things I said about something like Rumpus, also true for games. Uh, no guarantee any given platform will give a shit about what we're doing at any given year. Um, yeah. It, it's just stuff like in-app purchases are a good example of that, right? Yeah. Because like um, there there are game studios who have built their entire revenue model around loot boxes. EA, for right? example. I think 37% of the revenue came from sure. loot boxes last year. <laughs> right. And, if, and like at any minute, the hammer could come down in certain countries where a, por- a significant portion of their revenue comes from saying like, oh, yeah, it turns out this is bad and it's illegal now. Right. Yeah. Um, or GDPR when it comes to – you know, data yeah. privacy and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, so like, it, it's always yeah. the case that, that no matter who you are, unless you are the government, right? There are gatekeepers telling you what you can and can't do. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, so, so to me, that's the, the more, main the, thing the deeper that, that stack goes of gatekeepers, the more risk you're, you're building your, your business on top of a house of cards or a Jenga tower, I guess would be a better example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and, yeah. and I still having, having said all that, I'm, I'm still less worried about that side of things than just the overwhelming cost of, of doing it. Because, because of course we, we made it the tool to serve exactly the needs that we have. Right. And, and to work on the platforms that we're on and we can change it on a whim so that if it turns out that one of these things that we've talked about happens, we can find a way to accommodate and make it work still within our ecosystem. Right. Because we're only juggling our own needs, um, but as soon as we're now going business to business, you know, and now mm-hmm. all these other people depend on the thing that we're making, and now they have their own little set, set of completely unique things that they want to have happen, right? And if that's not provided, then now all of a sudden the tool starts to become something that limits them, right? Instead of gives them what they want, and which is, and you can, I mean, you see this, this is what happens basically with all services, right? Yes, is especially business to business services is is they just keep growing, right? And becoming more convoluted and complex until at some point everybody hates it. Everybody hates everything about it because there's too much there, right? I wonder it if this is why well. – because I know that anytime I need to use Skype now, uh, I basically throw my computer out the window because <laughs> I try to log in. I can't log in and I reset my password. Now I can log in. And then the next time I log in, 
the password I reset to doesn't work anymore mm-hmm. for some reason. And it's probably because it's somehow, because like, I have lots of different, like I have lots of different Microsoft services that were all standalone services at mm-hmm. one point with their own login system, but they consolidated the login somehow. Well, I, I don't understand and I can, how. I can tell you how, but without any detail. Because it's Pain, painfully NDA, and yeah. sort of because it's with duct tape. fucking wild. Because <laughs> we, we didn't do this for because we have Xbox sign in, right? So I won't go into details, but we obviously have that. So that's not an NDA thing, right? But, yeah. but the process by which we go from like you being like, oh, hey, I'm a Microsoft user, right? Uh, I'm and I'm on an Xbox playing this game, and I and I want to be logged in, right? I want to I want to yeah. be on the Rumpus service so I can now get the online content, right? The process by which you do that requires what was it? I think it's. I have to do a, like a, a waterfall series where the, for that first thing comes in from the Xbox. And it's like, hey, this is what I want to do. And then yeah. I, have to, I have to now take that data, send it to one website, get some data back. Take that data, send it to another website, get right. that data back. It's just like a I huge do that, pile. I have to do it four times. I have to do that four <laughs> times. It's just a convert. pile of logins. Yeah, because you have to convert so, each kind of login into a different kind of login until finally you hit like the main Microsoft account. And then it can be like, okay, now I have like your user ID and email address, right? Yeah, like because it's, it's just wild. it's just like mergers and acquisitions and internal product teams that all get sort of brought in. And so you know, thinking about stuff like that, it's like maybe that's why Zoom took off, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it does one you know, thing. Because like like you're saying, as a as a business keeps adding stuff onto the stack without, like we were talking about earlier, without revisiting the context and reconsolidating things um, with that like aggressive growth model, we just keep piling things on. It does get more and more convoluted and harder to understand and harder to manage for everybody involved, both yeah. internally and for your customers and everything else. Yeah. So it is still the case though that if we if we do find ourselves at some point with an infinite runway and we end up kind of backing out of web tech in our games uh, because of how hard it is to have that work on in the in the, in the really cross platform model that we mm-hmm. currently follow, uh, I still love the idea of actually truly spinning off like rumpus as a service, you know, to sell to people. I don't know what that would look like exactly, but I still love the idea of doing that because that would also be me getting to actually build a full product, you know, like with like a web product that could do this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, and it's fun to have the idea of, of enabling developers to do cool stuff that currently is really fucking hard. It's, it is so hard to do any little piece of the puzzle that rumpus does. It's just that I've now had years to put it all mm-hmm. together based on but again, I want to point out technically, no, politically, yes, right? Like, Wait, the, the I, don't, te- I don't know what the nose and yeses mean in this. I'm saying like, <laughs> if it's hard, right? Like the okay, technology, yeah, right. the technology is is not overly complicated in terms of like. Oh, it is though. Like t- talking to all these different services and like trying to figure out how everything works and like it's a lot. It's a, yeah. yeah, yeah, but but I guess what I'm saying is like uh, it's. It doesn't have to be that way. It just is that that way. Like what and what what, what Rupus does internally is is uh, is like very cool, but also pre- like pretty straightforward, right? In terms of like the services that we have and like syncing files and stuff like that. So much of the complexity of the design of the thing has been just trying to figure out how to get it to talk to all these external yeah. things that are just like wacky stacks of of uh, just nonsense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. consolidating like seven other platforms you know, methods of talking amongst them, like within themselves with the tool mm-hmm. that then talks amongst all of them yeah. is insane. And it does, it does make sense to say like, you guys should sell that. Like that's, that's, you're solving a big problem. It's like, yeah, but I mean, yeah. yeah. The reality it's, has been, I'll just say this, the reality has been in the business context that uh, while it's, well, it's been a 
fantastic thing for us, I think, as like as independent developers, meaning not actually doing business with other businesses to have uh, the, all of the cross-platform tools we have built for ourselves. The one sticking point in nearly every business-to-business interaction we've had has been about the fact of cross-platform, whether or not it's allowed, to what degree it's allowed, whether or not people can move their saves, whether or not people can move their player data, whether or not they can hook themselves up to the service, and whether or not things like achievements and stuff like that comes across. And which um, login methods we could use. And Yeah, which is yeah. – yeah. so you're, you're legit if you're in a position to start like pitching your game to platforms, you are better off not having any cross-platform features whatsoever yeah. because that's actually a – that's a boon in that conversation. Yeah, <laughs> which is – like, and the reason we did it was because it's good for us and it's good for our players. Right. That's why we, well, and we, we developed the system at a time when we did, when we weren't having those conversations Correct. with yeah. platforms, you know? And, and so it's, uh, yeah, that, which is also why we say, well, why don't you sell that? It's like, well, cause would we be selling a, a, a benefit to people or just <laughs> another problem? Cause everything is, but it is still helpful to us today to be able to use that as a single platform, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and actually it helps our development a ton because we also yeah. use all these internal web services for our own, our own work. Yeah. And, it, and it has helped um, some of our business pitches too. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. It's just that it helps in one place and hurts in another. And so, you know, it's a, it can be a neutral presence. It can, it's a, yeah, it's just kind of whatever it is. Um, but it is, it is one of those things that makes you, you know, all these, all these platforms, all these giants, like, uh, yelling at each other and being like, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're we're great for developers, you know, that all these players, ra- you know, wrapping around one entity or another, being like, oh, I love this platform, and like, I don't, you know, what, it, like, and the reality of it is, is that they only give a shit about themselves. That's it, yep. and they are well, all fighting you know, each other reasonably. We're all fighting each other, and we're just the we're just the little peons below who, you know, if we're lucky, we catch table scraps, and if we're not, we get crushed. <laughs> Like that's yeah, that's. What I'll it take is. this. I'll take those table scraps. You know, the table scraps from like a multi-billion-dollar company. Those are some good scraps. It's like being an ant yeah, at a yeah. picnic. You know, you're like, fuck yeah, yeah. got a whole peanut oh, butter yeah. sandwich. Someone, yeah. yeah, someone drops a crumb, and you're like, this will feed my family for sixty-three years. Yeah, <laughs> but those very so, table scraps can also crush you if they land on you. So, that's you know, true. Yeah, you got to be, be careful. Got to be agile. Uh, all right. Now, before we sign off, I want to really quickly answer one question that's just for me and doesn't really warrant any conversation, but okay. I just have to yeah. answer it. Do it. Uh, which is a question from Fly Hoppy Axe Rampa, who says, Seth, what is your class and spec in WoW? The community is dying to know what the worst class in WoW is. Nice. Which I had mentioned a while back that I was one of the top monks because monks were so bad that that if I did reasonably okay, then I would be in like the top couple hundred in the world. Um so yeah, I was a Mistweaver monk, worst healer. Nobody wants to bring them to anything. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the strength of it, right? Like if you do well on something that sucks, people are like, damn. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. He's so good. But then do they uh, still outheal you by like double without trying because it's you know, bounce? I usually outheal them, but that's all that I do, right? So like all the other healers, they they can do the healing, but then they also have tons of other stuff in their utility kit that they bring to the table, mm. you know? Like, they could be like, I just put down a big dome that if everybody gets inside of it, they take half damage for the next 20 seconds. Like, I can't do that shit, right? So, like, <laughs> I have to do tons of healing. You got nothing else. To you got sort, one trick. To sort of ju- to justify my existence. Yep. 
Uh, my damage is not great either. So if like, if there's a time where no healing is needed and I get in there and start punching, it's like, it's like I'm slapping them with wet noodles, you know, but it's good. I'm just, I'm getting in there and just doing it. Yeah. If Uh, you can only do one thing, you, you're going to need to be basically the best at it. You got to be real good at it. So, you know, we got to double down, but yeah, if you, if you want to check out my parses, uh, go to Warcraft logs. My, my character's name is Stoggs, S-T-O-G-G-Z. I got some good ones in there. <laughs> got some good ones. I got, they they uh they color code your your ranking, right? So it's like I think it's like uh if it's like kind of like a like a whitish gold color, then you are the number one person in the world. Don't have any of those. Mm, bummer. If it's if it's pink, then that's a ninety nine percent, meaning like you know you did only one percent of the people in the world outperformed you, and then orange is the legendary parts. Like most of mine are orange, and I've got a couple of pinks. So. Nice. I'm doing. I'm do- I, you know, I did. I did pretty well for myself. I'm changing classes though. This past year, tired of playing a playing a piece of crap. So, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net. We've got links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. And of course. Uh, you know, feel free to uh, send a tweet over to Favreau, you know, let them know they can sponsor, uh, just like throw us some cash mm-hmm. for the big shout outs mm-hmm. that, you know, we could do that. That'd be, you know, we'd appreciate them be good. We could do that. Yeah. Uh, so thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.